My name's Eric. Welcome to E3. I'm a pastor here. I've been on sabbatical for uh, three months. Came back, first Sunday back officially was, was last Sunday. And um, uh, I did some music last Sunday. I'm here to t- talk to you guys tonight about a couple things. First of all, we want to kick off this series called Dice or Deity, which is, uh, as it says, a journey through the book of Esther. We're going to be spending, I don't know, eight weeks, probably at least, in Esther. And so Mark asked me to spend some time with you guys tonight talking to you about sort of the background, the context, what's going on in the book as we come into it. So maybe we can understand a sense of the history, a sense of the mentality of the characters of the book of Esther. But um, I also want to kind of talk to you guys about my own sort of dicer deity journey through the sabbatical. You know, I've come back um, and just to kind of have a time to relate to you guys what I saw, what I heard, what I sensed God telling me going forward. So that's what we're going to do today, and we're going to jump right in. But uh, before we do, I would like to off- ask you guys to maybe bow your heads one more time. Pray with me, pray for me as we begin to learn from God together. So if you guys would do that. Heavenly Father, I uh, declare myself here for you. Um, submit myself to you in this moment, God. Ask you to uh, purify my, my thoughts and, and, and clarify my thoughts and my, my words, God. God, I pray for everybody in this room that we would, uh, from wherever we're at spiritually, that we would say, okay, I'm here, I'm in this place. Teach me, teach me, God. Maybe, maybe there's people here who don't even show they believe in God. God, may they, may they just, in a sense, test you and taste and see that you're good. God, we want to learn from you tonight. So I pray that you would unclog our ears and open our eyes so that we can see and hear. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pure in your eyes. And all God's people said, amen. All right, well, to talk about Esther, we have to go back um, we have to go back a few hundred years in Israel's history from the time of Esther uh, to another time. We actually have to go back a few hundred pages in the Bible from Esther to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is an account. Uh, it's really a, essentially a, a sermon. It's a transcription of a sermon. And what I mean by that is God's people, maybe you've heard this story, were slaves in Egypt. And God acts to set them free from slavery. And they're led out of Egypt by a man named, what was his name, people? See if you guys know. Moses, Moses, Moses was his name. So Moses leads God's people from slavery and he leads them into a place he's told that is gonna be called the promised land. They pass through the Red Sea and are set free. But between Egypt and the promised land, is the wilderness, is the desert. And Israel is set uh, free, in, in essence, to wander the wilderness, to wander the desert for, anybody remember how long? 40 years. So 40 years they wander around the Middle East, knowing all the time that they're going to get someday, I guess believing someday they're going to get to this place called the Promised Land. Now, Deuteronomy happens as Israel comes up to the borderland, the frontier, 
of the promised land. They're about to cross into the promised land. And Moses says, essentially, wait. I've got one last thing I want to say. Because Moses knew, God had told him, Moses knew he was not going into the promised land. He knew he would not go in with the people he had spent 40 years with. God said, you're not going in, Moses. So this is Moses' last chance to talk to these people that he saw come out of slavery. One last chance to kind of say, this is what's most important in life. So he preaches a sermon, and Deuteronomy is a, a record of that sermon, and it is a long sermon. So if you ever think you have it bad at E3, go read Deuteronomy, because you, and I'm serious, they probably didn't even have lattes then. So. so Moses begins to talk to the children of Israel, and he's telling them again, this is what's most important. You're about to be gone from me, and you're about to be in this place called the promised land. Here's what you have to know. We're going to pick it up in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you have a Bible, it's on your fridge fold as well. So Moses kind of reminds uh, Israel of all these commands and, and what, how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to treat each other and treat people who are hurting and those on the outside. And then he gets to this part and he says, okay, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all of the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord, and they will stand in awe of you. He goes on, says, The Lord will give you prosperity in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. Sounds pretty good, right? Like this, is, this is good. This is good. If you obey, this is what happens. He says, you will lend to many nations, but not if you follow financial peace. You will never need to borrow from them. If you will listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be on top, never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I am giving you today, nor follow after any other gods and worship them. Well, then he turns it. Because then he kind of says, well, this is what's gonna happen if you don't obey. This is what's gonna happen if you forsake the commandments that I gave you. And he starts off, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today. All these curses will come and overwhelm you. And the curses are just really depressing, so I'm not gonna read them right now. But it sums up in two radical statements that are key for the book of Esther. In verse 36, he says this, if you don't obey, if you drift, he says, the Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. And then again in verse 64, for the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. And there you will worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. Gods made of wood and stone. Israel, if you drift, 
If you drift, this promised land that you have been given is going to be taken from you. You are going to be taken from it and you're gonna be thrown into exile. What happens is that over the next hundreds of years in Israel's history, they do just that. They drift. They run after other gods. They align themselves with war machines of the ancient world. They dabble in slavery. They dabble in witchcraft. And eventually in the 580s BC, this is what happens. So the empire of Babylon shows up on Israel's doorstep, on Jerusalem's doorstep. They destroy the city, they destroy the temple, they carry off the population of Israel to Babylon. The promise, everything that God had promised was taken away from them. And the reason that's important is because exile isn't just a history lesson. The things that we read about, at least I believe, the things that we read about in Deuteronomy and then when we hear about Jerusalem being destroyed, that makes me just think about my life today and some of my friends' lives. Because what was going on in the nation of Israel is when, when they're in Jerusalem, they're able to look around and go, you see everything that God has promised us? We know that God is with us. You see that temple over there? God's at work in that temple. You see, God gave us this land. He promised we were gonna have it. Isn't this great? But when exile happens, everything that you thought was true about the world is no longer true. When you find yourself in exile, you can't look at that temple. You can't look at the promises of God and go, oh, God said he was gonna do that. Exile is a place where nothing makes sense anymore. Exile is a place that you, everything you thought about your life is no longer true. Everything that you thought your life was going to be when it changes and it's taken from you and you're sitting around going, what is going on in the world? That's what exile is. It's not just being taken from one land to another. It's when life doesn't make sense. And the questions that we ask when we're in exile are different than the questions we ask when everything's off, awesome. When everything's awesome, we can, again, look at God and go, God's at work there. He's at work in my job. He's at work in my school. He's at work in this great relationship that I have. He's at work in my marriage. I can see that. Exile says, I thought that God was working in my job, but my job doesn't make sense anymore. I thought I was gonna get a promotion. It didn't happen. I thought I was gonna have this job. I got fired. Exile is a place where you thought a relationship that you were going to live in for 20, 30 years is gone. And it doesn't make sense anymore. And the questions that you ask in exile are essentially, God, are you here? Because it was easy to see you here. But are you the God of just of Jerusalem or are you the God of exile? Am I just here because the world's a rough place? Do you see me, God? 
Are you with me? What do you do when your world changes? If you think about exile as just being a place where life doesn't make sense, I would like to think that in a room this size, there's more than one or two of us that have a place of exile in our lives. Where does your life not make sense? Where do things not add up? Where is your place of exile? Because I guarantee you have it. If you don't, you will soon. So that's the background, essentially, of, of Esther. Now, Esther is a very, very funny book of the Bible. It's, some scholars call it the most secular book in the Bible. Most famously because God's never mentioned in it. His name never shows up in the book of Esther. There's no like crazy miracles that show up in the book of Esther. There's no uh, really obvious healings. There's no raising from the dead. It's just people who are living in exile, living in Babylon, trying to work out how God is at work in their lives. So all of these people in the characters of this book, they're living in Babylon. This is their place of exile, physically, really. And you have characters like Esther, central character of the book. All of these characters behave really, really strangely because, for instance, Esther, a lot of scholars think that her name is based on the name Ishtar. And Ishtar is a funny name because Ishtar is the name of a Babylonian goddess. So you have a member of God's people, a Jewish woman who's named for a Babylonian goddess. And what's more is that Esther doesn't really act like a Jewish woman. There's no really record of her keeping uh, the, the festivals and doing the external things that she's supposed to do. In fact, Esther, I don't think I'm giving away any great plot points of the book. Esther sleeps with the king, who's pagan. A Jewish woman sleeps with a pagan king. This is hardly like Sunday school material stuff. Mordecai is her uncle or her guardian. He's not much better because guess who encourages her to sleep with a pagan king? He does. He's like, I think this would be a really, really great idea. Haman is kind of the antagonist of the book. Now he is sort of the personification of, of evil in the book. He's, he's out to exterminate the Jews. And he has an interesting backstory because he's part of a people group that hundreds of years ago, God told uh, Israel to basically destroy and they didn't do it. He's one of the survivors. Now he's kind of back for revenge. And then lastly, you have uh, Xerxes, who's the emperor. Anybody seen the movie 300? Remember the tall guy with the gold and the loincloth? That's, that's Xerxes, okay? So these are the characters of this book. And again, we're waiting. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you're waiting for something obviously spiritual to happen. And in Esther, I mean, some, some cool stuff happens, but it's not like reading like the Gospels. But an unexpected thing has happened over history with the book of Esther. Esther gives a birth to a festival, a celebration for the Jewish people called Purim, P-U-R-I-M. And it's a celebration based out of the book of Esther because the basic plot is that Haman wants to destroy the Jews, all of them, genocide, done, finish, murder. 
And somehow God acts so that they survive. And over the centuries, uh, because God's people, because the Jews have been persecuted over and over and over again, because Haman was not the last person that decided that looked at them and said, they don't belong on this planet anymore. That they began to read the book of Esther for hope. <clears throat> so much so that in Nazi Germany, Esther was banned by the Nazis. If there was one book that they didn't want the Jews to read, it was the book of Esther. Because the book of Esther is all about hope in the face of hopelessness. I read a story this week that said that in the concentration camps, they used to, the Jews used to band together and they would recite the book of Esther word for word and someone would write it down as they were reciting it so they could read it to each other in the darkest, most evil place to give themselves hope that God would sustain them somehow, some way. So even when you read a book of the Bible and it doesn't look like God's at work in any sort of obvious place, the, the crazy thing is, is that, that he is. It just doesn't always look the way we want it to look. It's about hope when nothing seems worth hoping for. At, the, at, the, at its essence, Esther's questions are, are our questions. Esther's about a group of people who are in exile. Life doesn't make sense. Everything that they thought was true about the world has been changed. And so they're asking each other questions. How does God work in this place? Is God with us? Does he exist? And I wanna, I wanna suggest to you that to the degree that you're experiencing exile in your world, you're gonna ask the exact same questions of God. God, do you exist? And how do I know? And how do I behave? So that's the setup. That's what we be, we'll be living for the next few weeks. But I wanna take the last few moments that we have together and I wanna just kind of run through my dicer deity type of, of uh, story for the past three months. Because this has been my, my reality. You know, if you find yourself in, in, a, in a world where you just believe it's a roll of the dice, where you just believe like, okay, it's either luck or it's bad luck. When bad luck happens, I, I just think that, well, if it's just happenstance that I'm here, gosh, maybe God's not with me in the bad times. Like maybe it's just bad luck and, and here I am and God was over, with me over here, but I find myself over here now. What do I do with that? Where's hope? Where's purpose? But if you believe in something different, if you believe that somehow God is not just the God of the Jerusalem places in our life, but he's the God of the exile places in our life, that changes everything. Because you sit and you go, okay, God, I know you were with me when life was good. I know you're with me now too. So what do I, how do I respond, God, knowing that you have not abandoned me? And this has, in a sense, been my journey because I, find my, I found myself in January when I walked out of this place Basically going, okay, God, like, are you with me in this time of questioning? How do I submit myself to you? How do I find you? How are you working in my life? And so I want to tell you real simply about where I, where I went and what I heard. I walked out of here Saturday night, the, the night before the very first gathering in this space. I led worship for a group of us who had, who had poured our, our sweat and our blood into getting this place ready. And then I walked out. Um, and then the next day, I got up and I journeyed to a far off exotic land called Kalarn. 
uh, we attended a, a, a Kalarn United Methodist Church, which was right down the street from our house. We kind of were looking for something that was low-key and a place that was subtle and, and easy for our family to just kind of exist at. We did that for, uh, for the entire time we were away, and it was great to just experience worship there. They're great people. About February, I left and I went to Jacksonville for two and a half days. And this is some photographs. I went to a retreat center over there, over on the uh, river. And uh, it was basically me in an empty, completely empty facility. Has anybody ever seen The Shining? Like the first day I was there, I was the only person checked into this facility. And they were like, well, we leave at 4.30. So if you need anything at night, and I'm like, you're like, I'm going to be the only person here. I was a little bit freaked out. But um, it was a wonderful place. I just went over there. I had no laptop, I had no iPad. I went over there, and the way I put it is I went over there to sit down and look at God for two and a half days and let him look back at me and let him tell me what he wanted to tell me, and I was going to tell him what I wanted to tell him. Silence, solitude, and listening. So I did that for two and a half days. Uh, heard some profound things that I'll get to in just a moment. A few weeks after that, um, school started for me, and then I took a journey up to Richmond, Virginia, where my parents and my sister live. That's my son, Levi, in the Virginia Aviation Museum. Um, and I went up there. They dialed up some snow for me. It was great. I went up there because uh, my sister asked me to come up and speak to some area pastors about worship and about worshiping culture and about church. And then uh, she asked me also to lead a worship experience for her church. And so I did that. And, and God revealed some stuff about maybe some ministry ideas that uh, I have going forward. And then just a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I took a trip to first to Chicago and then to Indianapolis. That's the Chicago Skyway going into the city. Always a great picture. Um, and we went, to, we went up there first to Chicago just to see some friends. We went to Indianapolis, more snow, to basically ask God, God, do you want us to move? God, do you want us to go to Indianapolis? Do you want us to go plant a church? Do you want us to find a, a ministry there? This was a bar called Sabbatical, which I just thought was awesome. So when I say I was on Sabbatical, it's clear I was not like in the bar for three months, but it looked like a cool place. Um, we just went up there to ask, God, is this what you want? And we, and we wanted to get out of our routines, get out of the places we knew so that we could maybe hear from him in a different way. And uh, came back flew back in two Sundays ago and settled down in our house a little bit. And then I came here Sunday night to baptize Sydney. And up until that time, things were forming in my life, but I really didn't know what the answer to the sabbatical was. I didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't figure out how to wrap my mind around everything that God had said to me, you know, because I knew he had been speaking and pieces were falling into place, but but I couldn't really put words on it. And then it, it, really un, it really happened in just a few short seconds even. As I pushed through the door and I saw Evan practicing up here in Sydney and the staff was all here. And this is what I heard from God. About a year ago, God began forming in me. How to think about the work I do. Not just the work at E3, but what my life is about for this season. And, and I frame it in three different ways. That, that God 
I feel has equipped me and given, and, and given me this mission to teach people about this book, this crazy book that we call the Bible, and to teach people about God and what he's doing in the world and trying to get your, you guys and your friends to what I call to wake up to the reality that God is at work. God is at work, and sometimes we just need to open our eyes. So teaching people is the first area that God's kind of given me, I feel like. The second area is to do this music thing for another season. I'm passionate about what I like to call setting the mark for the church musically, that people can walk in these doors and not just hear good music, but hear deep music, to hear music that speaks um, of the realities that all other realities are built on. I mean, I believe that the things that I sing and the things that Sydney and Evan sing and Lori sings, that these are the truest of the true things. And I wanna be about that. And I wanna be about helping young leaders grow up in that area. And then the last thing is just an area that I like to call just getting stuff done. You know, I run, across, I run into people all the time that they, they, they know what their life's about, but they're trying to figure out a way to kind of make the rubber hit the road. And I love coming alongside people and just trying to push them gently and give them tools to get their lives in some kind of functioning order. I just call that leadership, influence. So teaching, music, leadership. Those are the things that God a year ago said, "This Eric, this is your work. This is your work. But the tension in my life has always just been, and I'm sorry, I'm just talking really honestly here. So the tension in my life has always been that I've been very future oriented and maybe you're like this where you kind of go, okay, I think I see what I want to be in five years and 10 years. And, and I, I can see that picture. And so I, I orient my life and my thinking around that picture. But the trouble with that with me has been that when my life starts to not look like that future picture, so in other words, when I start to experience my own form of exile, because all of a sudden my life isn't looking like this picture, my stress level goes through the roof. And my frustration level goes through the roof. And I get even more irritable than I already am every day. Because if you don't know me, I'm pretty frumpy sometimes. And when I sat down in Jacksonville and I sat down and I descended into the dark of solitude and silence, what I heard God say to me was that, Eric, you have it wrong. You have it the wrong way round. And what he began to tell me is that he said, Eric, I've given you the work to do. You know the work that you have to do. He said, you need to surrender the future. For, for a future-oriented person, that is very nearly just terrifying. But he said, Eric, it'd be different if you didn't have the work. It'd be different if you didn't know what you had to do. Eric, it'd be different if you didn't have a place to do the work. But Eric, you've got a place. You've got a place in Tallahassee that Mark says, Eric, you want to do music? Oh my gosh, do music. Eric, you want to teach? Teach. Eric, you want to lead? Lead. And God said, Eric, I might call you somewhere in four weeks. I might call you somewhere in four months. I might call you someplace in four years or in 40. But until that time comes, Eric, surrender the future and do the work. 
And so I began to just kind of like wrestle around with me. And when I walked in the doors two Sundays ago, I walked in and within five steps I knew, okay, like those are the words. The words are that God has not called me anywhere. He has said, Eric, I may call, but I haven't. And so until that time comes, at E3, Eric, Eric, you teach when you have the time. Eric, you lead music when you're charged to do that. Eric, you influence folks and get, help them to get stuff done and do it with as much passion and excellence as you can muster. So that's the first thing that God said. Basically, you're stuck with me for at least, I don't know, who knows. So... No, no, that's, that's, thank you. But, but this is the second thing he said. And this is the thing that I feel is 10 times, 100 times more important than that. You see, when I walked out of here Saturday, uh, that Saturday night in January, and when I woke up or when I was sleeping that night, that first night of my sabbatical and Sunday morning rolled around, how much do you think I wanted to sleep in? A lot. A lot. I didn't want to get out of bed and go to, of all places, go to church. I was like, I just came off of this brutal run. I've just helped this place move. But we woke up and, and we kind of got, you know, we're, I was looking at my wife, Shana, and I knew. I was like, she's like, well, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, we got to go. We got to go. And, and the thing that, the other thing that God told me, And maybe this is like Christianity 101 or remedial Christianity, I don't know. Guys, this stuff is real. And what I mean by that is like, when, when, I'm, when you're paid to be a pastor, maybe this is awkward for people to hear. But when, I, when I woke up that Sunday morning and when I knew I had to go to church, one of the things I had to find out for the, on this sabbatical was like, would I believe in this stuff if I wasn't paid to? Would I, would I throw myself in front of God? Would I sing these songs if it wasn't my job to do it? Maybe that's awkward for you guys to hear, but that was reality. I'm like, well, the truth is I'm paid to believe. The truth is like, it's my job and it gets messy. And so what I said, no, we've got to go to church because I got to know. I've got to know if this is real for me. And so we went down to, to Killarn and I sat down and we stood up and we started singing the first worship song and the tears just started gushing. And as goofy as it sounds to you guys, I was able to say within a couple minutes, I was like, oh, I believe. I really believe. Like this is really real. I will sing the songs. If I'm not up here, I'll sing the songs down there. I'll sing the songs in other churches. And this is, this is the most important thing that this is not a dice life that we live. God is real. He's real. And he doesn't abandon us in our places of exile. And in fact, I was having a conversation with one of the musicians here a few weeks into the sabbatical and after that, and I was talking to him, and maybe this is for you guys tonight. I said, you know what? I'm coming to realize that God doesn't want to just be like salt sprinkled on our lives. Because sometimes I think that's the way we think about it, that we bring our lives like this bowl of popcorn to God and we're like, God, make our life better. Make our life more flavorful. And so we sprinkle some God's salt on it and it's like, man, it tastes so good. 
But I think the, 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 the uh, subversive revolutionary thing about God is God's like, well, yeah, I'll do that. But there's a whole other level to the way this works. And I talked to this, this guy and I said, you know, I'm coming to realize that God doesn't want to be just sprinkled on top of my life. He wants to be like the middle, the organizing principle, the, the thing that everything orbits around, not the afterthought. He wants to be the thought. And that has been wrecking me every day since then. That every day I wake up and I'm like, God, uh, okay, God, just, just take it all. Just take it all, God. I surrender everything. God, do with me what you will. And understand, guys, I'm learning to do this just like you are. That I wake up in the morning and I sit myself in front of my, my father and I go, have it. Just take it. Just take it. And just let me do whatever you want me to do. Let me do my work, God, for you. And just lead me. So to wrap up, what's your work? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your passions? Because you, in a sense, I want to think, I want to think are just like me. That you are called to do work the same way I am. The three things I'm passionate about, what are your three things? And furthermore, those things are the same things, the same answers in a sense that Esther is gonna ask us. Because in a place of exile, God does not set you free from doing your work. If, if it's really deity, if he's present in exile, the same way he's present in Jerusalem, then guess what? We're still called to do our work. You can't just go, well, I'm in exile, so I guess I'll just wait until I get back to Jerusalem because that's not the way life works. When you are in a place and life doesn't make sense and you're asking the deepest questions you can ask, you also are called to still do the work that God has given you to do. And the crazy thing about it, like Elizabeth just announced it, we are passionate about helping people find out what those things are what your spiritual gifts are, what your strengths are, what your passions are. That's the stuff that we're called to do in exile or not in exile. That's what I'm called to do at E3 or beyond. When God calls, I'll listen. But until that time, I'm God, I'll just do the work. I wanna wake up, God, and do the work, do the work, do the work. And that's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling all his people to. And I just wanna invite us to, to stand uh, and I'm just gonna pray a, a prayer of benediction over us and, and send us on our way, maybe to think about signing up for Demonstrate or just having a conversation. But before we do that, I wanna show you guys a picture of the team in Haiti. Uh, they have arrived and are getting acclimated. There they are, that's from Haiti. So if you know them, uh, continue to support them, pray for them, send texts to their family members, uh, excuse me, um, and just be an encouragement to them during this time. So if you guys would bow your heads, I'll pray over us and uh, God will send us out of here. Father, you are the God of exile. You are the God of, of home. And some of us are, are, are experiencing radical exile right now, God. Some of us, life doesn't make sense anywhere. Some of us just have a couple places where life doesn't make sense, God. 
But I pray that where, to whatever degree we're experiencing that in our lives, Lord, that you would clarify that you are with us, that you are real, that you want to be the thought that everything else revolves around, God. And furthermore, I would, I would pray, Lord, that for all of us, you would clarify the things that we are supposed to do, the work that we're supposed to do of loving people and of loving you until you bring us out of a place of exile, God. And for those who are, whose life doesn't make sense so much that they're just in a lot of pain and hurt, God, I pray that you would comfort them and I pray that we, the church, would come around, uh, come around and, and encourage and comfort as, uh, to whatever degree we can. Send us out of this place, God, equipped to love, love the world that you love so much. Pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. amen. We will see you next Sunday night.